Hello and welcome to another episode of A Quick Look from the Long View. A Quick Look is sponsored by www.gamesurplus.com, one of the best online retailers on the internet for all of your board gaming needs. The Long View is also generously hosted by 2d6.org and is part of the Dice Tower Network. Today on A Quick Look, we're going to be taking a look at the game Rapa Nui. Uh, this is a game that came out in 2011. Uh, the designer is uh, well-known, of course, uh, Klaus Jürgen Vrida, um, and it is in the Cosmos line of games. However, this one, even though it comes in the same size box as the classic Cosmos two-player game, actually is a game that plays from two to four players. Uh, the playing time on this game, uh, in my experience, is somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes, depending on the number of players, and and how experienced the players are with the game. Um, in addition, uh, the game says it's for p- players about 10 and up, and, and I would say that that is probably correct. Um, it's not a particularly difficult game to understand rules-wise, but the gameplay is surprisingly deep. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do a quick look on this episode, because I feel that this game has sort of flown under the radar, as it were, and not too many people seem to be aware of it, so I wanted to talk about it today. Um, the, at the heart, Rapa Nui is a hand management and set collection game. And so, uh, briefly to describe the game, the theme is uh, set on Easter Island. And you are a tribal chief who is trying to recruit uh, people and uh, use people in your tribe to go out and gather different types of resources. And also to uh, build moai. Now, moai are the kind of the huge statues that Easter Island is known for. And so... Uh, it, it's a game where you are going to be trying to gain points through building Moai, uh, through gathering priests together, and through gathering resources that are called sacrifice cards. And these cards are going to be a major portion of the game and uh, contribute quite a bit to the score. So I want to talk a little bit about how the game is set up, and then we're going to talk a little bit about why, uh, how the game's played and then why I think it's such a good game. Now, the card, uh, the game comes with cards, and there's some basic types of cards. Um, the main cards in the game are the different types of people that you are trying to sort of recruit to your village. You have four different types of gatherers. You have uh, farmers who are gathering grain. You have sweet potato diggers uh, who are gathering sweet potatoes. You have mulberry pickers, and you have fishermen or fisherwomen. And so... Each of these gatherers has corresponding smaller cards that go with them that are sort of like resource cards. They're called sacrifice cards in the game, and you'll understand why in just a few minutes. So those are the basic types, okay? So you have the four gatherers. You then also have priest cards, and priests are people who will bring you sort of glory um, and allow you basically to score points. Uh, that's uh, glorious points in this game. Uh, when you bring them to your village. And then there are also lumber jack cards and uh, the lumberjacks are going to provide you with wood now wood is sort of the the prime resource in this game uh, everything that you need to do as far as an economy goes is going to be paid for with wood so therefore you need to have these lumberjacks and finally uh, you have moai cards and a moai card is a card that you uh, would have in your hand to be able to play in order to build a moai and moai are always going to be worth points at the end of the game and uh, they cost wood as the resource to build them. Now, I know that sounds strange because the Moai are made of stone. However, uh, it's my understanding, uh, you know, from research about this, that uh, 
uh, the wood was actually needed uh, to use as rollers to to move these huge uh, stone carvings into position across the island before they were erected. So, uh, and wood, of course, is very scarce on these islands. So therefore, it was a very precious commodity. So the lumberjacks um, are what are going to gain you the wood, which is something that you really need. Now. Uh, at the start of the game, you're going to set up a display of four columns of cards, and each of those columns has four cards each. All of the cards are face up, and they're fanned so that, so that you can see what the four cards in each column are. So there's, there's no hidden information there. The rest of the cards are in a face-down stack. Each player is going to have three cards in their hand, and they're going to start the game with one of each of those types of resource or sacrifice cards. So you're going to start with one grain, one sweet potato, one mulberry, and one fish. And the game then proceeds very, very simply. What you're going to do on your turn is you are going to, if you want, uh, buy one of these sacrifice cards. Now, they're extremely expensive. So in my experience, um, players don't usually grab them early in the game until they've built up an economy. Um, buying a sacrifice card takes five wood, and uh, it's an enormous amount of wood in, in game terms. So it's difficult to buy one. However, interestingly enough, for every matching gatherer that you have played into your tableau in front of you. This is kind of what I mean by the economy of the game. Uh, you're going to get a discount of one wood. So, for example, if I have four mulberry pickers in front of me and I want to buy a mulberry card, instead of it costing me five, it's only going to cost me one. The cost, however, can never be zero. It always has to be at least one. So I'm talking about this idea of putting cards in front of you, and that's because this is a tableau-building game. So you're going to start with cards in your hand, but like all tableau-building games, cards in your hand really don't do much for you until you've played them in front of you face down into your tableau. And this game is no different. So what you're going to do on your turn, as I said, is the first thing you're going to have an option to, to buy a sacrifice card. But you don't have to do that. You can if you wish. The real heart of the game is the next two steps. And, and what you're going to do is you're going to be able to play a card from your hand into your tableau. So it could be one of the gatherers, it could be a priest, it could be a lumberjack, um, probably not going to be a moai in the beginning because you don't have any wood. Um, but you're going to play a card from your hand. And that's it. Very simple. The heart of the game is the next step. You have to replace the card that you just played from your hand with a card from the display that's in front of you, the four columns of four cards each. And this is really, the, to me, the interesting part of the game. When you go and you pick one of those cards, you, you must pick one of the last four. So the, the, you know, the others that are kind of tucked underneath it, you can't pick, although you can see what they are, and that's extremely important. So you're going to pick one of the four cards that are in front of you in those four columns. And it must be the, you know, one of the four on the bottom. So let's say you pick another mulberry uh, picker. And the card that is revealed then underneath it that, that you know, is revealed when you pick that, that card from the column is now going to score. So let's say that in a column I have a Moai card all the way at the top, buried. Um, and then underneath that I have a Lumberjack. Uh, I'm sorry, on top of that I have a Lumberjack. On top of that one I have a Mulberry Picker. And then on top of that I have another Mulberry Picker, just because that's the way the cards came out in that column. So if I just played a Mulberry Picker from my hand to my table, to the tableau, and then I pick the Mulberry Picker from that column, revealing the second mulberry picker that was under that, that now means that mulberries are going to score. 
okay? And when we say score, what we're talking about is gaining those sacrifice cards, okay? The, the, the mulberry pickers have now gathered resources. So um, taking the mulberry picker does not do anything other than just add it to my hand and give me one for the future, perhaps. But it's the one that's underneath that first one that is now going to score. So this means that everyone who has a mulberry picker in front of them in their tableau is going to get to take one mulberry card and only one mulberry card. You could have six mulberry pickers. It doesn't matter. You're only going to get one. There's one exception to that, which is another really interesting thing, which is that if you have the clear majority of mulberry pickers, uh, for example, then you get to take an extra one. So you will never take more than two, but usually everybody's just going to get one. If you don't have a mulberry picker in front of you, if your opponent doesn't, then they're not going to get anything. So sometimes there's this kind of push in this game to try to maybe specialize in an area where you're going to reap a benefit, but your opponent is not. And that's just another layer of this game that I really like. You do not replace the card that you picked from that column in the general display. So following the example I just gave you, you're now going to have a, a group of three cards and then four, four, and four. And this is going to continue with people picking cards. You play a card from your hand. You pick one from the display. You score the card that was revealed underneath the one you just picked. You're going to continue with this until the column is empty. Once someone takes the last card from a column, and this is another thing I love about this game, you then have to refill that column with four cards. And you start again at the top, and you kind of are covering those cards until you get to the bottom of the column, and whatever that fourth card was is going to score. So this is one of those kind of press-your-luck sort of things. It's like, hmm, you know, there's really nothing here in the other columns that I want to score, so if I take this last card in the column... Maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe something in that fourth card that pops up is now going to be the, the new scored card, and, and maybe I'll get lucky. So this game seems has a, has a little bit of everything, including this kind of uh, press-your-luck aspect when you take that last card in a column, because you're never quite sure what's going to score then. Now... You continue to do this, where you're playing cards uh, in front of you from your hand. They could be gatherers, they could be priests, they could be lumberjacks. Um, and you're going to continue to replenish your hand back to your hand size. And every time you do, every time any player does, you're going to score the card that was revealed. So if a priest is revealed, everyone who has a priest is just going to get straight victory point chips. If it is a gatherer, everyone's going to gather that type of resource. If it's a lumberjack, it's a little bit different. Uh, the way lumberjacks work is that, um, remember I said that when gatherers are scored, everybody is only going to get one card, except for the person who might have a clear majority. And then at that point, they would get two, but no more than that. Lumberjacks work differently in that when lumberjacks are scored, you're going to get one wood for every lumberjack in your tableau. So if you have four of them, you're going to collect four wood when you score lumberjacks, okay? And this is important because, again, uh, uh, lumber or wood is the kind of primary resource in the game. Recall that you can use lumber or wood to um, buy a sacrifice card at the start of your turn, or it's what you need in order to erect the moai, which are worth a lot of victory points uh, in your tableau. Um, the moai are also very important for perhaps an even more interesting part of the game, uh, as if this wasn't enough. When you play a Moai card from your hand, you are going to have to pay the cost in wood. I believe it's seven wood in order to erect the Moai. Once you do that, you're guaranteeing yourself, because it's in your display now, a certain number of victory points at the end of the game. Okay. However, 
when you play the Moai card, you're going to trigger what's called a sacrifice round. And this is where those resource cards, those sacrifice cards that we've been talking about come into play. And they're hugely important. When you uh, trigger a sacrifice, everyone at the table is going to have to put one of those uh, little cards, the sacrifice cards, on the stone of sacrifice, which is just this little cardboard stone that you put in the middle of the table. And this is where the big part of the end game scoring comes in. The person who initiated uh, the sacrifice by building the Moai is going to take one of the sacrifice cards from the stacks that are available, okay, and put it face up on the stone. So I might take a sweet potato, boom, put it on the stone. And everybody sees that I just put a sweet potato there. Next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take one of my personal sacrifice cards that I have uh, obtained throughout the course of the game. I'm going to put it face down on the stone so that nobody knows what it was that I put. Um, the other players are then going to place their sacrifice cards on the stone. Um, they're going to then put their sacrifice cards um, on the stone of sacrifice. Okay, so you're going to have one card that's hidden and then all of the other cards, you're going to see what was played. And this was really this is really important because now people are watching, well, what types of resources have been sacrificed the most? Um, If my opponents are, are playing a lot of fish cards and I'm trying to push sweet potatoes because I have potato diggers, huh? You know, I, I, I'm a little worried now. There might be more fish cards there at the end of the game than there are sweet potato cards. Why is this important? Well, it's very important because at the end of the game, what you're going to do is you're going to take a look at all of the cards on that stone of sacrifice, and you're going to sort them into piles, okay? And the piles that you sort them into are going to be used to try to determine the majority for each of that type of resource. Whichever one was sacrificed the most often is going to become the most valuable. Okay? The, uh, and, and what I mean by that is each of the cards, like let's say fish, are the, is the card that was sacrificed the most because my other uh, opponents were putting all these fish cards on there. And I was trying to catch up by playing a lot of sweet potato cards, by building a lot of Moai, and I was pulling those sweet potatoes and putting a sweet potato card from my hand every time I scored a Moai to try to make sure that sweet potatoes were in first place. That means each sweet potato card that I still have in my hand at the end of the game uh, would be worth three points. Um, however, because my opponents successfully pushed fish, Fish, being the most popular now on the Sacrifice Stone, is worth three. And all those sweet potatoes I have are only worth two. Because the first place uh, card is worth three. The second place is worth two. The third wor- uh, uh, the, the third most uh, sacrificed is worth one point. And just as a final little kick, the fourth place one is worth bupkis. It's worth nothing. So... 
there's a whole layer of scoring here, and the points here can be huge at the end of the game. You can think you're completely out of it. Uh, someone who has got a bunch of priests and has just been collecting glory points every blessed time priests are uncovered, um, or who has built all these moai, and you think, oh, geez, look at all the points they have. Well, I've seen entire games swing on these resource cards, which is just another indication of the depth of strategy in this game. There's also this delicious tension because every time you sacrifice a card, you're pushing that type of resource to become the most. So it's worth the most at the end of the game, but you're, you're taking it out of your hand, which means you're going to have fewer of those cards to score even if it is the most. So there's this kind of real tension throughout the entire game of everybody wanting to sacrifice something that they have the most of to make sure that it's worth three points each card at the end of the game. But at the same time, by doing that, you can actually dilute your own pool of points and end up where, uh, yeah, okay, successful uh, sweet potatoes are now the most popular. They're worth three points apiece, but I only got three of them left in my hand. Whereas, you know, uh, the player to my left who seemed like they were pushing fish they had like six of them in their hand you're like oh my goodness i just got hosed by my own strategy so you have to pay really close attention to everybody's tableau what types of resources is everybody gathering what are people sacrificing because this is really a a huge part of the game and there's a lot of uh it's not card counting but you do have to kind of have a feel for what does everybody seem to be going for what do i think everybody has the most of in their hand how can i use that to my advantage so that i score points and for goodness sake i don't ever want to be the person who has you know six of the cards that are worth nothing because that's going to do me no good whatsoever so um the game is continued to play um in this fashion even though i kind of jumped to end game scoring there uh buying a resource card if you want i'm sorry a sacrifice card if you want playing a card from your hand to your tableau uh, picking a card from the general display and activating scoring. You're going to continue this uh, over and over until there's not enough cards to fill up a column when a column has been uh, uh, depleted. Uh, when that happens, you flip up cards and there is no final scoring uh, because if you don't have four cards to make a column, that's it. So therefore, the game would end with the player that had uh, picked the last card that would have triggered that refill that was not possible. So um, this is when the game ends. At that point, you're going to take a look at all of the victory points that you've accumulated from your priests during the uh, course of the game. Add to that all of the victory points from the Moai that you have erected yourself personally, and then you're going to reveal all those sacrifice cards from the Stone of Sacrifice, figure out the various ranks and positions, and figure out how many points worth of sacrifice cards you still have left in your hand. So that is a quick look at the gameplay of Rapa Nui. So why do I like this game? I love this game. First of all, uh, I'm not even going to say I like it. I love it. Um, I have played the game probably 15 to 20 times, mostly as a two-player game with my wife. And Board Game Geek uh, does highly recommend this game as a two-player game. I've played it also with three players, and I've played it with four. Uh, four was not my favorite. Three I thought was grand. Uh, I really enjoyed three. There was just a, a lot of kind of tension there and a lot of fun, and the game still flowed very quickly. Uh, the two-player game, however, I find to be very chess-like, and there's a real 
real struggle for those majorities in each type of gatherer as people are trying to gain those extra cards, those extra cards. Because even if you don't have a lot of cards in the first place position, if you got a ton of cards in the second place position, that's all good too. So there's a lot of decisions to be made. There's a lot of open information, and yet there's also enough kind of closed or hidden information that you can't just card count and figure it out and turn it into math the game. Um, the game rules themselves are extraordinarily simple. There, there's really nothing complicated about this game. You have three things that you do, one of which is optional. So basically you have two things that you must do, which is play a card and pick a card. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And yet the whole dynamic of scoring the card that's underneath the one you pick is absolutely fantastic. I don't know how many times I've wanted to grab that Lumberjack uh, card at the bottom of a, of a row, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I really want another Lumberjack, uh, loves me some Lumberjacks, but if I pick up that Lumberjack card, the one that's underneath it is Priests, and I know that my opponent has four Priests. It's like, man, if I take that Lumberjack that I really want, I'm giving my opponent four points. It's like, I don't know if I should do that. You know, is it worth it? Is it going to It's gonna pay off for me, or am I just handing you know, the victory to my opponent? Um, so there's, there's really hard choices to make in this game constantly, and that's one of the things that I really enjoy about it. Um, it is a surprisingly tense game for a card game that plays in 30 to 40 minutes. As a matter of fact, I kind of feel that this game packs more kind of bang for the buck um, in terms of uh, uh, the play time than just about any game that I can think of, except for perhaps Traders of Carthage. It reminds me of that in a little bit. Uh, for, for those of you who are familiar with that game, that's another kind of a card game that you think, oh, you know, a big deal. And then you start playing it, and especially as a two-player game. It's kind of crazy with four. Um, but if you play it as a two- or three-player game, the way you're trying to manipulate those ships and manipulate the cards in your hand is, is just incredibly intense for such a small little card game. Rapa Nui feels exactly the same way to me. There's meaningful decisions to be made on every single turn. You are uh, clearly trying to outduel your opponents for majorities. You're trying to keep an eye on what's on that stone of sacrifice and position yourself at the end of the game to be able to score tons of points, while at the same time trying to build enough moai that you can sacrifice cards that you want uh, to push that. So you can't just kind of sit back and, and kind of hope uh, that, uh, you know, that the cards cards that you want uh, to be the most sacrificed are going to be there. You have to kind of push it yourself by playing those Moai cards. So this is a game that hits on all cylinders for me. Um, it is portable, it is quick, it is easy to teach, and yet it is full of meaningful decisions, and it is full of tension. So that's a quick look at the game of Rapa Nui. If you would like to pick this up, Thor has these in stock right now at gamesurplus.com. I would encourage you to go there and pick yourself up a copy if you would like, and be sure to mention the long view if you do so in your order. So for 2d6.org, for hosting the Long View and Quick Look podcast. Thank you very much. To GameSurplus.com, thank you very much for your continued support. And remember that A Quick Look and The Long View are part of the Dice Tower Network. Check out all of the great podcasts at Dicetower.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and good night.